turn with me uh, to the middle of chapter 3. The reason I say the middle is I can't remember where I stopped. But I think I have a general idea. And we're just going ahead right through the book of Luke. Uh, right through the book of Luke. And um, our charge is to open up the Bible and to set forth for you the glories of God through His Son, Jesus Christ, by the Holy Spirit. <laughs> That's what we want to do. We want to make sure that Christ is preached, Him crucified, and that He's risen and lives. And we don't uh, uh, live a paradigm or a set of rules. We live in communion with the living Christ. And the doctor here, good Dr. Luke, a physical or a physician, a physical doctor, a doctor of you know, medicine, who's a companion of Paul, uh, writes this book, this gospel, unique from the others, and that he wants to make sure that it's the universal gospel. That the kings would come to know the Lord, but also paupers. That's with a U. A-U, not paupers. But that lepers and princes and the poor and the rich and the outcast and the popular and everybody in between, this side of the tracks or that side of the tracks, that everybody would come to know the Lord. His heart is for the Lord. He has traveled with these men who reached out and shared the gospel in the ancient world and saw a church go from nothing to nobodies. to a massive church all around the Mediterranean Sea. And here's the thing, folks. Listen to this. Listen. Here we are, this little group of people, right here in a little place of Pittsburgh. And some people would even say, my goodness, although we love it here and we're so thankful that we're here, some people would even say just a sliver of Pittsburgh that's kind of been forgotten. <laughs> and I say, my goodness, what a perfect place for the Lord to have revival. And so do you. Of course it makes sense. He uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And Luke teaches all of this. But before he gets to all the things that Christ is and was, but I can't say was, he's always been. He, all the things that Christ is, he wants to tell you the way in which Christ was born into the world. He wants to, you to know that Jesus is both the Son of Man and the Son of God. Somebody's eating something over there and it's making me hungry. I can hear them open it. My stomach's rumbling up here, as a matter of fact. <laughs> By the way, I, I was up late. I mean, if you don't know, I was up late and I just happened to put on scarlet and gray this morning. It just popped out of my dresser, and uh, that's a football reference for those of you who don't know. Uh, but anyway, we'll move on. But I'm so I'm hungry. I'm hungry. But but here's the thing: is he he writes this universal gospel, 
He wants us all to know, and here in this little place, it applies to us. We need to know that Jesus is the Son of God, but also the Son of Man. And that's what Luke is trying to tell you here in the first few chapters. And you might be, you know, filing your nails right now or yawning or something like that. But see, it couldn't be a more applicable doctrine to you than that Jesus Christ is both the Son of God and the Son of Man. I mean, just think of the two titles. If it weren't for Jesus, the divine could never be connected to the human. The human could never be connected to the divine. It took both the Son of Man and the Son of God to do it. It could be nobody else. He's uniquely qualified. There were no one had the legal right and the spiritual right to bring men and women, boys and girls, back to the Father. There was nobody... And Luke is writing to tell you this. Without him being the Son of God or the Son of Man, we're toast. We don't enjoy close communion with the Father. We can't cry out, Abba, Father, to him without Jesus as both the Son of God and the Son of Man. See, We just got done over about a six-month period making sure through the scriptures that we all together as brothers and sisters knew or started to know as best we could and can who Jesus is. Because if you miss who Jesus is, you get the whole thing wrong. Those books in the back of the Bible, the Peter books and the John books, those letters, they say that you must know accurately, as accurately as you can, who Christ is. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. The Son of God, the Son of Man. You must. I must. We must together. Why must we get all of that right? Because you've been charged to go tell a dying and hurting world who Christ is. And if you don't get it right, if I don't get it right, as best we can, this side of heaven, We're doing a disservice. We're not doing what we're called to do. And so remember, we've studied now the fact that Luke was a master historian in addition to a physician. He checked all these things out so that he could write this historical, scholarly account. We have been going over John the Baptist's birth and his announcement, Christ's birth and his announcement how Mary and Elizabeth were together, the songs of Mary, the birth of John the Baptist, this circumcision of John the Baptist, Zachariah's prophecy, Christ was born of Mary, his circumcision, even being presented at the temple, Simeon, this old man whose life was now complete because the promise had been uh, given to him that he'd see the Messiah Messiah, the baby, was presented to him uh, in the temple area. Anna, the prophetess, she's old, and if anybody ever had a reason to complain, it's Anna. No, no, her life is full. She's just one who serves the Lord, and she gets to see the Messiah, and then the boy grows up. (laughs) He grows in stature. He advances in wisdom and favor, and John the Baptist goes out into the wilderness. He spends his life there preparing the way and then prepares the way for the Messiah, his relative, Jesus. 
He preaches to the people, but it's a, uh, it's a preaching, it's a gospel in the sense of repentance. It's preparing the hearts uh, for uh, Jesus who would come in and teach us that you have to receive him, to have the Son is to have eternal life, and then to have the Holy Spirit. But John's preparing, so he just talks about this the law and, and, and how you must repent and be forgiven of sins, but there's no power in his message for forgiveness of sins. That's Jesus, and now we come into him. We get right here into the middle of chapter 3, where John has been preparing the way. It's so funny. I, I mean, the Bible is funny if you'll look, because why it makes me laugh is because it's so real about human nature. Here are these people who come out to see John in the middle of chapter 3, right there about verse 8, 9, and 10, and they go out to see him do his baptism, and he calls them snakes. <laughs> Boy. And he tells them, well, you're to bear fruits worthy of repentance because I'm teaching this baptism of repentance, and we're preparing the way for the one who give you the resource to live this life of repentance. That's Jesus. But he says, you must know that your heritage, your race, your privileges as Israelites, although good, they don't amount to salvation and forgiveness of sins. And you say, well, Come on, how's that? Listen, folks, just because you serve on committees at the church, or, or, you know, your dad was the pastor, or your grandma was this great person in the church who prayed. Listen, it's all been put into your lap personally. You must choose the Lord as he's chosen you. I understand that the Lord chooses, but you respond to that call. See, it's in your lap individually to follow the Lord. And the people say, it's so funny. This is why I think it's funny. Well, people go, well, what shall we do then in verse 10? What shall we do? In other words, it's so funny. Well, I'm here. We're here. We're the ones who came out here into the desert to watch. I get this. Well, we're the ones who go to church. So what? I'm glad you're at church. Praise the Lord. But are there fruit of repentance in your life? Wake up here. And then he goes and he says, well, tell us what those things are. People just want to know, what do we do? By the way, Jesus said, here's the works that work. Believe on me. Receive. Put yourself under the blood, the, the Passover. Just believe. Just receive all that I am for you. But, but boy, we still have that tendency, don't we? But what can I do? Come on. I like to measure up. You know why I'm convinced we like to measure up? We won't say it. You're going to say, no, you don't. But our flesh likes to measure up. You know why? Because then I can say this. You know, I've been to church more than you have. I've given more this year than you have. Our flesh loves it. We like the rules. So we can see how we measure up. Instead of just enjoying being under the blood as brothers and sisters, being free to be who we are in Christ, he says to these different people, 
what shall we do? And he says, listen, here's what you do. Here's what are going to be some fruits of repentance. You're going to be really generous. You got two coats, the coolest coats in the land. He doesn't say that. Give them away. Give one away. You got some food, do that. Share. Have integrity in ordinary things, he says. <laughs> you want to do something that looks like repentance? Be a sharer. Folks, how many coats do you have in your closet? I'm not criticizing you for how, how many coats you have in your closet, but that's a barometer. That's a symptom of where our hearts are with the Lord. I got to tell you, I got too many coats. He goes on, he says, to the tax collectors. I want you to see this, folks. Tax collectors, they're hated. They're in cahoots with Rome, came and to be baptized. They were to be baptized. Listen, they were coming from everywhere, multitudes, people who were in the church, people who weren't in the church, you know, the synagogues. They weren't in the synagogues. Tax collectors, they hated people. They're going to be baptized. And they said, well, what shall we do? I mean, there's really got to be something that we got to do. <laughs> I want you to notice something. He never told them to quit their jobs. Oh, boy. Don't, don't quit your job, or he didn't say that, but he never says that. He just says, collect no more. Be really, have in, integrity in what you do. Don't collect more than, because it was so easy to skim off the top, depending on which ta tax collector you were. You could even be like, like Matthew, a tax collector who was helping Rome, and then so you would charge this amount, but give this amount to Rome. They'll never know, and take a little bit, and they were hated. And listen, he doesn't say don't, he says just be, in the little things, have integrity. He said to them, collect no more what is appointed. Likewise, the soldiers said, what shall we do? Think about it, soldiers. We don't exactly know which soldiers these were, but these are soldiers. He doesn't tell the soldiers, by the way, to stop being soldiers. <laughs> There's a great big sermon right there about blooming where you're planted about not always seeking grass that's greener. <laughs> that being content, whether you have a lot or whether you have nothing, whether you're in the privileged crowd or you're not, don't collect more, he says to the tax collectors, but to the soldiers, he says, don't intimidate anyone. You can be a soldier and live godly. Don't accuse falsely and be content with your wages. In other words, don't moan and grumble and complain at the place God's put you. Of course, if you want to seek after a raise or whatever, there's nothing wrong with that, but he's saying don't moan about it. You agreed to it. You got it? Man, just be. What are, what are some repentant ways in which you can see people who are repentant when they just have integrity in little things? Or are they prideful? Uh, that stuff doesn't matter. No, the Lord says that it is. You know, the people were in expectation, verse 15, and all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was their Christ. John answered and said to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to loose. This is really fascinating because in the rabbinical writings, rabbis were followed like rock stars, right? 
Now, even today, you go and there's people, groups, who follow certain rabbis, and they follow their teachings. One of the things that a rabbi would never do is to let somebody untie their sandal. Because even that was just going way too over the top. Do you get it? And now John the Baptist from the other side says, listen, I do it, but I ain't even worthy to do that compared to this one. And, and I got to say to you folks, how intoxicated or intoxicating it is to be in a position like John the Baptist. Well, the Lord's called me out to this desert place. And now look, because of my great personality, I have all these people coming to hear me preach, many can say. And the Lord's welcome here. Of course the Lord's welcome here, but I don't want him to set, upset the apple cart. I mean, maybe I'll be rele relegated to back duty or at second string. And the Lord, so let's just keep it to where my, our numbers are up. Here, he says, I got to get totally out of the way. Because he's the one that I want you to see. That's what people who are in love with the Lord do. They always want the Lord to be seen. Because, see, he's the one who is mightier, and his ministry is the one who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, without which we're nothing. The Holy Spirit guaranteeing a our down payment into heaven, the Holy Spirit, the one who convicts us of sin and righteousness, the Holy Spirit, which points people to Christ. That's his ministry. He's the one that comes into our lives. We're baptized into him. You must have Jesus, John says, or nothing we do matters. Man, oh man, oh man, oh man, oh man. <laughs> Is that a message for the church? Is that a message for people at work? Is that a message at people who are out in the extracurriculars? Is that a ma message for people on silly social media? Is that a message for us? Would people see Jesus or how smart we are? How clever we are? How devoted we are? Or would people see Jesus? Well, John wanted them to see Jesus because he knew that his winnowing fan is in his hand, and he's thoroughly going to clean out, verse 17, his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. I must have done this because I think we talked about it, the threshing floor. <laughs> and with many exhortations, he preached to the people, but Herod the Tetrarch being rebuked by him concerning Her Herodias, think about this now. Herod the Tetrarch, who's he? He's from the Herodian dynasty. He's an Idumean. He's from Esau line, which always war, warred with Jacob's line, right? And here, uh, the, these Tetrarchs, these rulers of four places, the Herodian dynasty, they started ruling in the area of uh, Israel. And the one uh, that uh, uh, knew about John, this Herod the Tetrarch, had a wife who was, listen, his sister-in-law and also his niece at the same time. You figure it out, because I can't. I mean, this was twisted. He steals his wife from his brother, in other words. This lady named Herodias, and 
John the Baptist got to these two, and for all the evils which Herod had done, he, he was rebuked by John concerning this adultery, this uh, stuff that he did with his brother's wife, and all the evils, and above all that, he shut John up in prison, and that happened near the Dead Sea. They put him in a prison near the Dead Sea and left him in there. Can you imagine? Man. I mean, think about it. What you might be tempted to say, Lord, I've given you my whole life. You're my relative here. I paved the way for you, and this is how you repay me. That's not it. That's not how we respond. We respond, right? John the Baptist responds, keep telling truth. Keep loving people, but keep telling truth. Keep standing for righteousness, and, 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 and things will happen, but there's a heaven that's waiting for me. Well, when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. Did I... Don't skip the phrase. Jesus was baptized last. <laughs> it's just so like him, isn't it? If I were Jesus, I would have said, get out of the way. I need to be baptized first. I mean, come on. He waited in line, folks. He deferred to others. He laid down his rights to identify with the people. Are you catching that? Everything he did, every word on these pages speak of his grace, his mercy, his power, his love, as he lived a life, Philippians 2, where he put aside the rights to his privileges, to his deity. Did he ever stop being God? No, he never stopped being God. But he laid them down for the greater good of the gospel. It's always here. It's here in every page of Jesus Christ. And here you say, well, my goodness, he was baptized. What do you mean he was baptized? Why would he have to be baptized? He, the perfect son of God, the perfect lamb of God, he was without sin. Of course he was without sin. The Bible's clear. Did he get baptized for the forgiveness of sins? No. But you know this. He was identifying himself with us. He was legitimizing John the Baptist's Isaiah prophesied ministry. He's identifying with his people, us. He's legitimizing the ministry of Isaiah, or excuse me, of John the Baptist prophesied in Isaiah. And there's another thing that's happening here. He's showing you a picture of what happens to a person when they receive him. They die to self, the old nature. That's killed. But they're raised to new life. All of these things Jesus is doing as he gets baptized. Notice this. Luke is very keen on this. He's the only one, it's the only gospel that tells us that while he was there being baptized, he prayed. He was a prayer. He, folks, he was a prayer. Why do you think he was a prayer? Because your calendar says to pray at 8 a.m. in the morning? Oh, boy. 
you know, I know, you know, the pastor's talking about praying and stuff like that. Let's do it in the morning. Let's put that on the calendar. No, 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 no. He, he, he wasn't praying like that. It was his opportunity once again, again, continually keep, to keep in constant communion, uh, shut out the things of the world and to keep in constant communion with the one who loved him. God himself, and to then cry out to God and tell him his thoughts and feelings and get his direction. Lord, I'm only going to do those things you show me to do. Well, how do you think he knew what to do? He stayed in prayer. And here, while he, he's in the baptism line and while he's getting baptized, he prays. And what happens? <laughs> the heavens open up. <laughs> now, listen. Listen. I want you to get clear what I'm saying here. You're not Jesus. But the resources that Jesus had available in these stories right here, you have too. When you be surrendered your life to Christ, when you surrender your life to Christ, something happened to you. Romans 6, 7, and 8 happened to you. Your old life died. You were raised to new life. You have now communion with the Father. Why don't you use it? Why don't I use it? And oh, by the way, you know, I'm I'm telling you, I'm convinced. I'm just being honest now. I'm going to get in trouble for this. People come and talk to me. I'm not hearing from God. I don't hear anything. I'm not hearing. Well, are you praying? Yeah, I pray. Yeah, sure, I pray. Really? Do you really pray? Do you really stay in communion with the Lord? Are you in the car just, you know, listening to Word FM or listening to, you know, you know Sean Hannity or whoever you're listening to, or maybe you're listening to the 93.7 Steeler talk and you just, shoot. Lord, tell me, Lord, I need to know about work. Come on, tell me. I need to know where to go to college. I need to know who to date. And then, boom, turn on the radio. That, that's how we pray. I'm not saying you have to pray for hours and hours, but are you pressing into the Lord in the way that Jesus is pressing out of a relationship? Or are you pressing into God because you know he's holding some gifts? See, he, he wants you to come to him. He's dying for you to come to him. <laughs> what a way of saying it. I mean, he just wants you to come. I'm convinced. I told two people this today. Two people already, it's only 10.45, whoa, no, it's 11.30. Told two people this, I'm convinced not all the rules of the, that you want to know about are in the Bible for a certain reason. You, you see, you want to know, should I go to this job or that job? Well, it's not in the Bible, folks. I mean, there's, but what are the, what is in the Bible? principles, precepts, character of God. You are asked to know the character of God, to learn of God, to understand God, to learn his precepts, to learn as much as we can this side of heaven. But why doesn't he give you every step of the way? Why step there, step there? Uh, You know, you can dance at the dance or you can't dance at the dance. Can I hold his hand or can I not hold his hand? Doesn't say, but it gives you precepts. Why do you think that is? Because he wants you to come to him in closeness and keep coming I'm convinced immature Christians want to know the rules. Mature Christians want to know Jesus. Now, you say, well, man, he's criticizing me. No, I'm criticizing myself here because I like to know rules. But see, the, 
Here's this Lord just wanting you to come to him, pray and pray. And Jesus, or just Luke records this whole book where he's praying. The Holy Spirit descends on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven which said, you are my beloved son and you I am well pleased. I don't really have to point this out, do I? There's one God in three persons and you see them all right there. (laughs) There they are, right there together. This is God. He's taking from Psalm 2 in Isaiah 42 these words, You are my beloved son, and you I am well pleased. In order to go out and do solid ministry, to to, to be one who shares and to love with people, which, by the way, you can do as soon as you surrender your life. You're you're ready to go, but, but what do you need to know? That you're loved and accepted. You're like, what? Yeah, if you, if you, you need to receive from the Lord that you're loved and accepted because why? You're going to turn around and give it to the others. You're going to give Jesus who, and, and here, look what the son is being told. You're my beloved. I love you. And you please me. When was the last time you told somebody that? When? Well, Jesus himself began his ministry at about 30 years of age. Interesting, because that's when the priests, according to the Old Testament, could begin their ministry. The priests were called into a fam- out of a family, Levi, Aaron. But they didn't begin their priestly ministry until they were 30. Is that interesting? That's no coincidence there, folks, because Jesus is your great high priest. Being, as we suppose, the son of Joseph, the son of Heli, circle Heli in your Bible. That's the important word right here for this genealogy. For you see, there's a couple of genealogies in the Gospels, one in Matthew, one in Luke. Some people say they're opposed to each other. Well, I don't think so. But anyway, the son of Heli, and you can go all the way down. You can just keep going, uh, keep going, keep going, you know? And they, all these people, son of Joseph, jo, you know, you can read them all. I can't even say them all, but it's right before 32, at the end of 31, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salmon, Nashon, Aminadab, Ram, Hezron, Perez, Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Sirug. Ru, Peleg, what a name, huh? How would you like to name your kid Peleg? Eber, Shelah, Canaan, etc. Son of Maha, keep going, the son of Adam, the son of God. All the way back to Adam. Remember, Jesus, or excuse me, Matthew was writing to the Jews. Luke is writing more to universal, all mankind. So Matthew takes the genealogy back to Abraham, of course. Luke takes the genealogy all the way back to Adam, of course. You see that? So there's lots of different things that you can study about these genealogies. I said Heli was important. Why? Because Luke gives us this genealogy through his mother, Mary. That's important. The Holy Spirit overcame Mary, right? 
overshadowed her. And this was his biological line traced back to Adam. So he's emphasizing this humanity of Jesus, of course, son of God, son of man, son of man, excuse me. And notice that Joseph is said to be the son of Heli. In Matthew, it says that Joseph was the son of Jacob, but Heli was the father of Mary. So Joseph was the son of Heli by marriage as a son-in-law. In other words, this is Mary's line. Matthew's Joseph's line. But he's reminding us here, right here, he's, what he's trying to remind us, and this is what's important, that the Son of God was also the Son of Man. He identified with our needs, our problems. He was a real person. And since Joseph and Mary were his mom and stepdad, they were both in David's line. And that's important because the Messiah had to come from David's line and that he had to come from David's line. And that's what they want to tell you here. That's what this writer wants to tell you here. That's why he ends. You're like, why didn't that book start with the genealogy of Jesus Christ? Wouldn't you have started it with the genealogy? Well, what he's trying to tell you is this is how he was born. This is how he came into the world. And the genealogy that you and I sometimes skip over in our one-year reading is put there to say, this is the one you've been looking for. In other words, there's nobody else ever in the history of mankind that could qualify as both the Son of Man and the Son of God, and he's uniquely qualified to be the Messiah. There's nobody else that qualifies. That's what he's saying here. And that's why he puts his stamp right there at the end of chapter 3. Well, we move to another story. Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit, that's what you, you're to be, filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians tell us, tells us you're to be being filled. Just keep, you leak a little bit. Anybody here leak a little bit? We'll get filled back up. How do you do it? Just ask. You don't have to run around the room and act crazy. Just ask. Ask the Lord to fill you back up and by faith, by faith receive it. And now you're filled with the Holy Spirit, just like Jesus was, and you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and so do I. This one who was tempted in all, all points, but yet without sin, Jesus, the one who sympathizes with you, our great high priest, see, he was both baptized, but he was also tempted. And this tempting man is subtle. If you're a Christian, and you've surrendered your life to Christ, you say, well, come on, man, Let, make my life perfect. I want all my ducks in a row. I don't want to worry about stuff. I don't want to be tempted by stuff. What do you mean? You above the Lord? Here, he's baptized, and now he's tempted. Jesus, what, what was he? He was, made, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He returned from the Jordan. That's where he, that was, they were out doing the baptisms. And he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days, he ate nothing. And afterward, when they had ended, of course, he was hungry. The doctor tells you that. Of course, he's going to tell you that. And you know the story of the first temptation. What did he use? What did he use? Don't say an apple. Don't say an apple. Don't say an apple. He used fruit. He used fruit to tempt in the garden. 
See, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, the devil has three plays. <laughs> Wouldn't you love to play a football game with an equally matched opponent and know they only have three plays? But, but here's the deal. His plays are subtle. He puts them in different formations. And he's really subtle. And here, with the Lord himself, when he was hungry, which says another thing, he's going to find out your weakness. Where do you find yourself weak? Don't let the devil get a foothold. You know you're weak in something. Like if you have a tendency to look at bad stuff on your phone, get rid of your phone. It's not rocket science. I mean, it ain't rocket science. You like to look at bad movies, get rid of your TV. It's not rocket science. Don't let the devil get a foothold. Well, here, he's tempted. He eats nothing. The devil sidles up to him, doesn't he? Remember, the Bible tells us that at this point, the devil is the prince of the air. He has, in a sense, he has the keys here. He rules here in the sense, right? He has his way here for right now, but Jesus is coming to make that right. Don't you worry. And here he gets him up there and he says, uh, hey, um, if you're the son of God, notice that, son of God, you get it? It goes along with Luke's theme. If you're the son of God, command this stone to become bread. You've got some personal needs. Personal needs are okay, the Bible tells us. It's okay to ask for your personal needs. Of course here it is. But you've, there's, a, there's a way in which those come about. And Jesus answered him and said, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of God, which is fascinating because you have the same resource that Jesus does to resist temptation. The exact same. You're filled with the Spirit. You're being told that you've become a new creation. You've died to self. You've come out. You're, you're filled with the Spirit. And now you have the power to know what is written. Because Jesus combated temptation with the Word of God by the Spirit. It is written. And here, isn't it great? He quotes the Old Testament. That's my plug for Wednesday nights. Keep coming. And he knows the Old Testament, and he quotes Deuteronomy of all books. It's written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. And then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority I'll give you in their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to him ever I wish. A high mountain. Therefore, if you'll worship before me, all will be yours. Now look. In Psalm 2, this is really an important psalm for Bible students to know. In Psalm 2, 7 through 8, the Lord, God, tells us and tells the Messiah, tells Jesus, as Jesus knew the Scriptures, we see he knows the Scriptures, right? He tells him in verse 7 and 8 that the Messiah is going to inherit all the kingdoms of the earth. <laughs> By the way... The enemy of your souls knows the Scripture better than you do. <laughs> but he just wants to take it and twist it just a little bit. You see why it's important that you, I, we, us, must be right dividers of the Word? 
We must work with the word, start to understand the word, meditate on the word, know the word. Here, uh, he says, listen, I'm going to take you up on a high hill. I've already, you know, oh, you, you're not going to succumb to the bread stuff, the, 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 the eating part. Okay, well, listen, let's go up on the high hill. You can have all this if you'll just worship me. Now, listen, the Messiah knew he was to be the suffering servant. Do you know what the enemy is asking him? The enemy saying to him, I can get you to the place that you probably be with God himself, but you got to skip the cross. I want you to skip the cross. He actually doesn't say, I want you to skip the cross, but that's what he's trying to get him to do, to skip the cross. Folks, that's America. We love to talk about God. It's fantastic. We can write books. We can put, uh, we can put shows on 8 o'clock TV. God, 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 God. It's fantastic. Talk about God all you want, but you do not say the word Jesus. Jesus is offensive because he had to go to the cross. Folks, before the crown, there must be the cross. And it must be in your life too. In my life too. I said, man, I can just give you what you already have coming. Shortcut the process. That's always the way the devil does it. He takes the word of God, he puts it beside the word of God so it sounds good, it sounds right, but he wants you to bend to uh, the, the things of the Lord so that you'll just kind of uh, go with it, but, but not do what the Lord is requiring or asking so that really you haven't done it with the right intent. You see it? And, 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 and the things that the Lord wants to do, you avoid because it's way more comfortable. Comfortable isn't always from the Lord, folks. It's not. Comfortable in many areas is the place where the enemy works. Therefore, if you worship before me, all your beers, and Jesus answered and said to him, get behind me, Satan. Flee from the devil. That's James 4, 7. Flee from the devil. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Well, then he brings him to Jerusalem, <laughs> sets him on the pinnacle of the temple and says, if you're the son of God, see, there it is again. If you're the son of God, throw yourself down from here. Come on, let's test the Lord. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge for you uh, to keep you. That's Psalm 91, 11 and 12. The devil knows it. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot and Jesus uh, against the stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It's been said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Deuteronomy 6.16. And there's other places in the New Testament where people uh, show you this uh, principle. And the devil had ended every temptation. Listen, this is a, not a very well-known scripture. He gave up. The devil gave up at some point. but he waited for another time. He, he waited for another time, another opportune time. Oh, I've got victory in that area. I'll never do that again, people say. Hmm. That's the very thing that the devil wants you to think. The better attitude is, I'm so apt to do that 
I need your help daily, Lord, minute by minute, second by second. I'm weak, but you're strong. And when we make declarative statements, I'll never, I won't, how could it possibly? Troubles on the horizon. Because he departed, but there was another time that he would come. And if you read Psalm 22, I know where that time was. It was there at the cross. It was in the garden. It was in the garden. It was those times leading up to the garden. He's, you, you, listen, you, you read in Psalm 22, the bulls of Bashan are out there just watching and cheering. Yes, we got him. Until the great resurrection of Jesus Christ conquered everything there. So, he came to Nazareth. Oh, excuse me, excuse me. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. You say, well, okay, temptation's over. Let's cruise. We're in a great place now. We're going to go home. <laughs> but Jesus said, no, 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 I need the Spirit. I'm, I'm going to be filled. You have the same thing. I'm, I'm going home. What do I need? I, I can let my guard down. He returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went out through all the surrounding region, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Here's Jesus just traveling around. I, I want you to know something here too, folks. Oh, man, here it comes. Jesus went to church. Regular church attendance. He didn't skip because, you know, I DVR'd, you know, General Hospital, or, and this is the only time. I mean, I deserve a break, and I, it's the only time. No, he, he didn't do that. Now, Jesus went to church. What is it about church? It's this thing where we get together and we bring, uh, we raise the Lord's uh, name up to the heavens to Him. We 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 praise together and we pray together and we love one another. And listen, when we get in fights, we forgive one another and we don't hold grudges. And the beauty happens, and we start to really know each other and to really love each other. And God binds us together because he knows when we go out there on Sunday afternoons and Monday through the rest of the week that we're going to be living among wolves and you need to be sharpened and grow. And you can't do it from the couch, folks. Sorry. Jesus went to church. We're commanded to assemble together. We don't assemble together to gain the favor of God. We assemble together so God can do something in us together corporately and individually so we can go out and help him, if you want to say it that way, to save a hurting and dying world. Jesus went to church. And he comes to Nazareth where he'd been brought up and it was his custom. And, as his, uh, and he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. Now, you, you're, you're not getting the backstory of the synagogue way in which they did things. They usually had some readings at the beginning. Of, of maybe even a Levite would say a prophecy, but then they'd have a reader for the day. And Jesus, apparently, in his home church that you can go to if you go to Jerusalem with us or Israel with us, see Kelly for the details. When the Lord opens it back up for us, you can go right to this synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read, and he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. Yeah, just a coincidence. We're reading from Isaiah today. It's your turn to read, Jesus of Nazareth. When he opened the book, he found the place where it was written, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me 
to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now do me a favor. With one hand in Luke, just turn over to Isaiah 61. 61, not very far away. Just go over there. And look in chapter, verse 1 and 2. Of, uh, by the way, I'm doing this. Look what I'm doing with my Bible. That represents 800 years. <laughs> From Isaiah to now the time is eight to 900 years right there. That's how far ahead this was prophesied through Isaiah. Okay? Got it? And the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me, verse 1, to preach good tidings to the poor. And he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty, sound familiar, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. But guess what? This next little verse, part of the back verse, it was left out when Jesus read it. And the day of vengeance of our God. Jesus didn't quote that. Because Jesus has two comings. His first coming where there would be no vengeance. But in his second coming, there will be vengeance. So when he's reading in his own home synagogue, he's reading Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. He leaves out the end of verse 2. You get it? Everybody tracking with me? And he closes the book. Can you imagine the tension, the drama? He closes the book. He looks at them. And he sits down. Why, why do you think sits down is important? Because he was a rabbi teacher and they sat. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. <laughs> Can you imagine what they must have thought? Wait a minute. We babysat you. Your mom and, wow, mom and dad went out for date night, and we babysat you. You came over for dinner when you were in the high chair, and, and, and we watched you grow in your dad's shop. What's happening here? It was all fulfilled in your hearing and more. So all bore witness to him and marveled at his gracious words. See, everything's fine right now. Here's what I want you to get. Everything's fine right now. All these gracious things that he was saying, and it made so much sense, and they'd never heard anybody teach like this, and they marveled, and they, things that he said, they hung on his words, and they said, isn't this Joseph's son? Of course they would say that. And he said to them, he's anticipating their objections. Watch. You surely say this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Whatever we've heard done in Capernaum, the fish town, we want you also to do here in Nazareth, the out-of-way town. Could you do that? And then he said, assuredly, I say to you that no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I truly tell you, listen, here's what, here's what gets them mad. Gets them murderously mad. Write it in your Bible. This is what drives them to drive him off the cliff. He anticipates their objection. And he says this, why would this make him so mad? Verse 25, but I tell you truly. So he brings up two of the greatest prophets in the history of Israel, Elijah and his mentee, the one he mentored, Elisha. 
And he brings up the story. When the heavens were shut up for three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout the land, but none of them was Elijah, this great Israeli prophet. None of them was sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon. In other words, she wasn't Jewish to a woman who was a widow. In other words, God sent his prophet and his power and his resource and his help and his compassion and his kindness and his forgiveness. All these things he sent outside of those who were Israeli or Jews. Oh, what? Think about this. This is in his home synagogue, folks. The people who loved him, the people who did date night, the people who changed his diapers when he was a kid, the people who watched him uh, 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 grow up in the, 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 the shop that his dad had. Uh, these people who loved him. Then he goes on and he says, and many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha, the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except... Oh, don't say it, don't say it, don't say it. I can imagine what they were saying. Don't say what you're about ready to say, please. Except a hated Syrian. He doesn't say hated because Jesus didn't hate him, but a Naaman, the Syrian, somebody who's not in the family of God, they thought. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath, murderous wrath over a doctrine that's beautiful. <laughs> Are you catching it? Something that's totally right from God's heart comes down to them and they want to kill the messenger who's the very son of God, who's one that they know. So they rose up and thrust him out of the city. And they, Can you imagine the, the, the sickness of it? You ever seen somebody being bullied? where they push them in the back. And the kid doesn't want to fight. And they just keep pushing him. You ever seen that? It's a sick. That's what they're doing. They're pushing him. They're thrusting him out. They're being rude to him. They're taking him to kill him, all because he didn't line up with their theology. This was the theology straight from God. And they bullied this kid that they knew, 30-year-old man. They're pushing him in the back. And they passed through the midst of them. He went his way. He goes his own way. There was something in his countenance that caused them to allow him to go back through. I don't know what it was. Well, you do know what it was. His authority and his kindness and his grace. What does this tell you as we close right here? It tells us that we shouldn't be religious external people who just believe stuff but don't have any inward change, that have no filling of the Spirit, that have no ability to say, it is written, that doesn't love the Scriptures. If, if we're in that place, if we are people who are just cruising in here and we don't find our life and strength and resource 
in God himself through Jesus Christ by the Spirit as we fill up on the Scriptures, something's amiss, and we can get hard and external and gross and hateful. Listen, folks, it applies now. How do I know it applies now? I see some posts on social media. I'm like, are you kidding me? That's not very loving. You say, well, can I express my opinion? Of course. But if we get to that place where we're so external and so rigid and so outward and there's nothing happening in here, we, like my car for two years, with engine lights, need to check it. Well, I haven't done that yet, but I'll get around to it. But, but, but we need to check it. We need to check it because we can be the people who push. We can be the pushers. We can be the mean ones. So the Lord help us, right? Well, listen, as we go on today, on our way, I just pray that we would have a fresh filling of our spirit, that the Lord would fill us up, that we would be tender towards him and toward the things that he has, and we would listen to what he says and not what people say. That there are some who are so external and so ready to give you advice and instruct you, and yet they themselves need to have, take a look in the mirror. Just keep living for Jesus. May God help us if we ever get like these people. Even now, we have two days away from an election. Come tonight. We're going to pray for the election. We've been praying for the election. Come, 7 o'clock. We're going to pray. You say, well, you guys never pray for the election. Never. Well, then you are, haven't been in prayer. <laughs> but I got news for you. If it comes out the way you want it, praise the Lord. But if it comes out the way you don't want it, the next day, we're still going to be able to praise the Lord. Well, we're not going to have a song today. One of our singers is in uh, Sunday school. I would ask that if anybody has prayer or needs prayer, that they would come up here afterwards. Maybe pray for me <laughs> that I can get through this sermon. But there's many people in the congregation who are hurting or struggling. If you want prayer just now before you leave, great. Otherwise, meet us at 7. Youth night tonight at 6, bring the, them, the youth. Come and worship together. I mean, what better thing to do for youth than worship together, right? Well, let's pray. Well, Lord, thank you so much uh, for this day. And thank you for uh, this word, this touching picture of Jesus at his home church. I pray, Lord, that you would do a mighty work in our hearts so that we wouldn't be bullies. We wouldn't be external. We wouldn't be posers and fake, but that we'd have a real touch from you so that we could go out and love a world that's hurting. We wouldn't bruise 
a tender reed. Or we wouldn't snuff out a smoking wick, but that we'd be ones to prop up and to love and to leave all the rest to you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, God bless you guys, and uh, you have a great week, and uh, we'll see you then.